0: Um oh, we really should have planned out who's gonna do the introduction and stuff, shouldn't we?
1: Well you've started saying words before I have, so it feels like you've taken that.
0: I'm happy to as a, as a seasoned and experienced podcast host,
1: I'm happy you to considerably more than me.
0: <laughs> I have an audience of 60 people, so I'm basically a podcast celebrity.
1: I've got zero. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, well I'll do I'll do an introduction. Um, welcome to joy story a brand new podcast featuring tim leeson and dan mills the bell um this uh what's the story behind this i guess this starts from so i do another podcast called god or whatever and (laughs) shameless plug plug. (laughs) yeah check it out available on all good podcasting platforms and on youtube um (laughs) uh, a couple of months ago dan was a guest on that podcast and i would say it's one of the best episodes of the show if not the best episode of the show And the feedback echoes that. I had lots of really lovely feedback from people. Um, And off the back of that conversation, Dan and I were talking and thought it would be cool to kind of keep on having conversations, which we would do anyway without the podcast, but we could keep on having those conversations and make them public. Um, Dan and I have a lot in common, I think, in terms of what we're interested in and what we love and what brings us joy, a theme of this podcast. But we're also we also have slightly different kind of I guess starting points from how we see the world and our kind of way of interpreting things like joy and happiness and well being and that kind of stuff. So Dan is a uh, well. Now I said psychologist earlier on, and he told me that that was the wrong word. So I'll tell you what. Why don't I? Rather than me getting it wrong, why don't you say Dan what you are? I'm not
1: a psychologist, which is what you were about to. I was going to say that, like, like, like it's an insult. You—that's not an insult. You calling me a psychologist. <laughs> um, sorry to any psychologists listening. If that's how it sounds. Um, I'm a psychotherapist, um, which is different. And although Tim thinks that is the same thing, um, it's not.
0: I don't. Can I? So I don't think it's the same thing. I think psychotherapy is a subsection of psychology. Because what did you study to become a psychotherapist? Psychotherapy. <laughs> Did, what, okay. was not psychology? No, at some
1: point i'm being really facetious yeah. there because my first degree was psychology
0: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: <laughs> but many many people who are psychotherapists and counselors have not studied psychology
0: i think this conversation is a little bit like when you accidentally call the canadian american and they say i'm not american i'm canadian and then i want to say what continent do you live on, mate? Is it North America? Because if so, then you're American. Okay. And I think this is the same thing. I think technically... I think technically you're a psychologist. You can because you, you can think technically all you like. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you can... You off. can... <laughs>
1: so again, I'm, I would be quite happy to be a psychologist. I know many amazing, wonderful psychologists who are lovely, compassionate people. Um, however... <laughs> I am. that's how I talk about people who I think are thick <laughs> so, but I am not a psychologist I don't think I've ever described myself as a psychologist um psychotherapist so um my studying for what I do was in counseling and psychotherapy and that's so many people that have become counselors and psychotherapists will start with a um degree in counseling studies or practice and then do a diploma or the other way around whichever way around that is and then a master's maybe so I've I've done a master's in counseling psychotherapy children and young people specifically um so yeah it's funny when people ask me what I do you know because I do go with psychotherapists my role at the moment my job isn't that but I do a bit of that alongside what I do as my, my main role that was an interesting um string of words <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think i followed it <laughs>
1: but um yeah i just think when someone says like would you do it psychotherapist seems to um people get it if i said my job role, yeah. most people don't get what that means and then i have to do a whole spiel and i don't really like doing a whole spiel about what i do
0: because i end up really bored with myself um, um so what is i'm i'm curious Um, I will I'll eat my words and acknowledge that you are a psychotherapist and not a psychologist but maybe you could tell me what what is the difference what what what, if I like I see a counsellor at the moment to talk about mental health but I know that that's different to a psychotherapist but I'm not sure how it's different
1: okay so we're going to get under lots of different umbrellas here in this conversation um so okay, welcome to this fine. umbrella. This one's called counselling. <laughs> this one over here, I'm being quite visual now, um, is like psychothe- So like th- they're just umbrella terms, psychotherapy, counselling, and then many people have lots of different um, approaches and um, techniques and um, theoretical stances like within all of that. So you can – and because actually counselling psychotherapy isn't a regulated profession yet, um, it – a lot of people can call themselves a counsellor or a therapist. Um when they've done like a one of those like group on 20 pound courses or something, you know, you can just say, Oh no, I'm this because it's wow. but so now I feel like I've got to do a serious like if anyone is seeking a counselor or psychotherapist, please look at their qualifications <laughs> and experience before going with them and make sure they're with an accrediting body. Um so but yeah, no, there are there are I prefer... So, yeah, I would say, like, I'm therapist or psychotherapist or counsellor sometimes, but I do prefer the kind of broader term, which just think it encompasses more um, because of the reasons, like you said. You said I'm seeing a counsellor, and I think that's different. So that's why I go with psychotherapist or therapist, because I just think it's a broader term. And um, okay. it lets people know... It communicates something a little bit more succinctly, something I'm not doing effectively right now.
0: <laughs> I think you're communicating it very succinctly. And what, like... I am. Um, I appreciate. I'm. I'm basically interviewing now. But you can. We can turn the tables when I start talking about yeah. myself, and you can interview me. But what is um like? Why are you a, a psychotherapist? What made you get into that line of work? Is, it, is Have you always wanted to do that since you were a kid? Or no. did something?
1: No, no, no. Yeah. I didn't. Um, I was just trying to think. Like, what did I want to do as a kid? I, I think I had a few different ideas about what I, what I wanted to do. Psychotherapy definitely wasn't one of them. Um, I didn't know what it was. Um, I'd never heard of that or counselling or anything, probably, um, as a kid. Um, so I almost stumbled into what I do, I think. Um, I remember, so I did my psychology degree. I Again, I really apologise to psychologists, but like I did psychology degree because I didn't know what else to do. Um, and it was just like, I'll do that um that sounds quite interesting um and then had like a few jobs that I really didn't like after university and then I landed in a job in a children's home as a child carer for looked after children and from there like really quickly um progressed in that kind of field and got massively massively passionate and interested about developmental trauma and looked after kids particularly um my first ever day in a children's home um I met a boy who I looked after for a few years, and I'm still in touch with him now. And this was a long, long time ago. Um, he tried to set me on fire on my first day in charge of the Um He <laughs> he. he um, I met him, and he had the he had the word twat written on his forehead, um, like literally. Um, he'd written the, actually it was backwards, so it said like talk or whatever
0: like <laughs> um
1: but yeah so he did not take kindly to especially men but new people coming into his home to look after him and tell him what to do or think they know what's best um so right. it's it's a very it was a very scary atmosphere to like what well, just step into having never done anything like it and then um i wasn't quite sure how to forge any kind of relationship with a young person like that and then um Yeah, he proceeded to try and beat me up, steal my bag, set me on fire. He he later threw like knives at me as well. Um, He did a number of things. um, And I went away from that first day and I don't really remember how I felt other than it was a very weird mixture of things. And I was like, I either don't go back, which feels like the more instinctive thing to do, or, and I don't think I'd ever think this now, but I was like, or do I let a thirteen and fourteen year old boy dictate my job and my career? No, I don't. So I got like I went back, I think, because I was stubborn right. more than anything. Um, that's impressive. Yeah, that's an impressive um, intensity of stubbornness, isn't it? Um, <laughs> um, something I can still have now sometimes. But yeah, so I went back and just I absolutely fell in love with that work. And then like throughout, then I guess progressing in children's homes, I studied counselling psychotherapy um i was managing children's homes while studying i was then like a counsellor and a therapist in primary schools i then worked in therapeutic communities um, like children's homes with like therapeutic models um around that and uh, eventually landed in a um in the service i'm working with now um which is digital mental health and um have had various roles there and my main Interest there psychotherapy and safeguarding so keeping people safe and it um it's no surprise to me now that I've done a lot more exploration of me that I end up as a uh safeguarding lead somewhere and and that my main responsibility in working life is to keep people safe because of, I mean we're going to this now but like lots of experiences as a kid and early experiences I was not feeling safe and like so it doesn't surprise me that I end up wanting to keep people safe
0: um,
1: So again, not very succinct, Tim, but that's how I kind of stumbled my way into it.
0: Well, do do you know what's interesting about your answer there is I was thinking while you were talking that, so I asked you why you became a psychotherapist and you started by essentially kind of telling me how you became a clinical psychotherapist in terms of like the steps in your life that led to kind of or not even that led to yeah. you doing it but you know your are job you, you kind of gave me a career yeah. history which is really good and really interesting and it's only until that it's only right at the end then when you said something about knowing yourself better now it's not a surprise that you've ended up in a role which is about keeping people safe and I'm just going to press you a little bit on that i mean obviously you know this is only episode one of the podcast we don't need to go into our whole life history of trauma and that kind of stuff at this stage unless you want to um but like what what is it what is it in you that kind of because i've spoken to you about your job before and particularly about psychotherapy and you come to life like i can see that there's like there's passion there you know your eyes light up when you talk about it and i just wonder what it is why is it for you that this way of helping okay. people.
1: Like, so it. give me a nudge if I go off course, because I'm, I'm sometimes likely to go back into like how rather than why. Um, so do, okay. do give do me a, a poke or a nudge. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I feel like when I talk about it, I come to life a bit more. Like it's something I, I genuinely, I mean, look, the name of our podcast, Joy Story, is there for a reason, I think. And it brings me genuine joy to help or, or try and help people and I think I often do um help and support people and keep people safe and there's a number of things in there I've just said that I feel like I didn't have enough of as a kid so I didn't I could have done with someone doing the things I try and do um um and yeah. to be able to do that and the privilege of doing it and the privilege of I mean, I specifically work more with young people than adults, but the privilege of a young person letting me into their world um, and holding their hands through it and coming out the other side, hopefully, and going through some really dark stuff um, just feels phenomenal and um, an amazing experience and it brings me joy. And I guess that's like what I get out of it. I don't know if I've really answered you still, like why? Um, Maybe I have, I don't know.
0: Well, I think you've started to. We can we can you keep press on. me if you we want to trust me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy. No, no, I mean I'm not I'm not there isn't anything that I'm looking for you to say really. I just think from my perspective, it's really like there are every job has its challenges and there are challenges in other jobs which I look at and I think, never in a million years could I do that. Would I even want to do that? You know, like that there's there's no part of me that wants those challenges, but there's other people who yeah. thrive in them uh, who, who really get something out of it. And I'm just, I guess I'm just kind of interested. And I mean, I, I think I get it because I think you and I are quite similar, you know, in terms of our personalities. So, and, and actually the work in w- which we do is also quite similar, I think in lots of ways. And um, so I get it, but I just think that's a, it's an interesting question as to why people like you or people like me are drawn to a type of work which can be really very emotionally demanding intense in your case risk being set on fire or (laughs) knives thrown at you Um, which is like i say lots of people maybe even most people would hear about that job and go that's not for me thanks i'm not absolutely no interest in doing that so what is it about your experience your personality (laughs) your DNA what makes you you that means that you thrive with those challenges I mean I just think it sounds
1: weird that someone keeps going back to a job where they're hurt like that but I have and I have been hurt a lot by a lot of a lot of young people in in children's homes particularly Um, and you go into that environment kind of knowing that after your first experiences of it and um, it's a really interesting thing to carry on exploring that when you're in it and afterwards and like why, why do I keep what what yeah what am i drawn to there because while i say like that privilege and joy of helping people it's like, yeah that's brilliant but like, i'm getting something out of that i i, I it's, you know it's just almost yeah, like transactional yeah. I, I i'm getting something as well um and it's yeah. um so it f- it's fulfilling something um the thing about kind of going back to a an environment where you are entering like violent circumstances and like punches being thrown and knives being thrown and fires and, and stuff. There's, there's a level of intensity to that work that is really hard to explain to anybody that hasn't been inside of it. And I spoke, I've got a really good friend who I'm mm-hmm. still in touch with now and we work together in the therapeutic community. And we always say it's, it's, sometimes it's really hard. To, you can't really share that experience with anyone else that's been outside of it. It's really difficult because it's a truly awful and amazing experience to be in. Um, It's horrible and dark and depressing and scary and ugly and um, panicky and joyful and amazing and triumphant and beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a mix of so many things. And that cocktail of all of those things, I guess for me, brought some kind of, equilibrium somewhere you know it's like I, I need all of these different intense things that dead did then kind of trigger me to ex- do way more like self-exploration and like what it is about me and why I need each of those things in that kind of intensity which I no longer need those things in that intensity um I don't need to go into environments where there's violence and anything else I mean it actually scares me a bit the thought of going into somewhere like that now but um yeah Yeah, like I wouldn't I wouldn't want to um but I loved it for for a long long time so yeah it did bring me a lot of joy though like um and I look very fondly on those experiences and and that time um yeah I do feel like we're in an interview though where I'm giving you like all sorts of stuff about me I feel like I need to um (laughs) I need to do some like joy flip back to you um
0: well, I tell you. So, I was just thinking then while you were talking. So, I'm. Go- I, I can. I can flip it towards myself to begin with, which is, um, I was reflecting on. I, before starting in my current role, for four years, I was a chaplain on a mental health uh, at a mental health hospital, and particularly on the adolescent ward of a mental health hospital. Um, and chaplains' role is quite different to the kind of counsellors therapists kind of role in the sense that the young people who are in the hospital no they they didn't need to talk to me if they didn't want to my my presence was completely Mm. optional 100% of the time Um, and that meant that generally I saw the young people at their best like I heard stories about the kind of stuff you've just described about, you know, whatever, setting people on fire or throwing knives. (laughs) I can remember one particular week showing up and being told not to go into room, whatever it was, because somebody had put a desk through the window. And, you know, that person happened to be quite a petite, young, kind of 14 year old lady and just have, you know, completely being mind blown by like, what? First of all, the sheer mechanics of that are mind boggling um but also more importantly that just doesn't correspond to the interactions that I've had with this young person because to me she's always very sweet and smiley and easy to be around Um, and anyway that's a long-winded way of saying that I think sometimes that role is well I'm sure it's probably easier in that sense than the kind of mental health professional's role but I could relate to what you were saying in terms of There were times when it was scary. There were times when people were kicking off, generally not towards me, but that I was in the vicinity of people kicking off and, you know, acting violent, aggressive, scary. Um, And there were times when I would walk up to the hospital, getting ready to go in, really arguing with myself about whether I should just turn around and go because I was nervous about going in and what I would find on that day. But also... And I say this with complete sincerity, with my hand on my heart, that was being the chaplain to that mental hospital for four years was the best part of those four years professionally for me. Like I loved it. I really, really loved it. Um And it, like you just said, on paper, you're there to help people, but actually in practice, you're being helped by being there as much as the other way around. Um yeah. And I think again I was reflecting on this while you were talking for me what made that such a important and powerful place to be was that a lot of the pretenses which we get used to living with are stripped away in that context so there isn't a kind of sense of pretending to be okay when you're not feeling okay in that context and people are honest and real and just made me think it's a bit of a tangent but I had a really lovely message from a good friend earlier on um, apologizing for not having replied to a text message about something uh, and then basically saying, look, my head, uh, truthfully, I'm really struggling mental health wise. I'm really, really struggling. I'm struggling to stay afloat. It's It's been really difficult. I, I would like to be better, but I'm not. Um, and she said something like, please don't think less of me for this or something like that. And I this is a weird thing to say but I'll explain it. Receiving that message was like a weight being lifted. Like it made me feel it made me feel joyful actually receiving that message. Yeah. Not because my friend is struggling, because obviously I don't want my friend to struggle. I want my friend to be happy. But it meant that I could have an honest conversation with somebody and reply and say I'm so glad you've said that. I know exactly how you feel. I've been feeling a lot of what you've just described as well recently. Um, And by you opening that door up, you've created another safe space in my life by telling me that. for, For me, for me, for Tim, you've created another space, another person who I feel like, oh, good, I can be real with this person. I can be authentic with them. I don't need to pretend to be something I'm not or to pretend to have it all together if I don't have it all together so genuinely I felt really grateful towards her for that message and that message has just created a little beam of light in my life Um, which is crazy because my friend's struggling and I don't want my friends to struggle that's a really sad thing that she's going through that but going back to that question I initially asked you about what draws us to those places for me there's something about Oh, this is just a place where we can say everything's fucked up and it's okay, you know, and it's a place where we can say, I'm really, I, I can't cope right now and it's okay to say that and to feel that. And certainly with my grapples with mental health, pretending to be okay when I don't feel okay is a huge part of the problem. And the minute where I feel safe enough to say I'm struggling here, a lot of my anxieties at that point go away because it's like, okay, I can, I don't have to pretend anymore. Um
1: I, I mean, there's a lot to say for like authenticity, isn't there? like when someone presents you with like an authentic emotion message, whatever it is, it's like oh, there's there's some shared experience here now, and like this is an authentic moment, whatever it's about. If it's depressing, sad, happy, you know, it's like this. Yeah. So I, I can really see how you'd get joy out of that, and how that can also be misconstrued by some people. It's like you're happy that your friend is really sad, exactly, and like, anxious. Like, well, oh, no, yeah. um was something that resonated with what you were just saying and I'm trying to think which I don't know if there was like a particular phrase you used or what but like just something really spiked up um in me and it was um what was it I can't remember what it was Tim but like what I've just been thinking is like my time in those places I was just saying that I worked like therapeutic communities and children's homes I think in terms of what the kids were helping me with I think in the end was to leave because I think all of that work was such a distraction from myself. Mm. Um, like our shift patterns, for example, in therapeutic communities, we worked like over a hundred hours in a week and we slept there several nights wow. a week. Like you were essentially mostly living there. Yeah. Um, and it was such a distraction. And I loved it, but it was such a distraction for myself. So, for when, so when I left that industry, like the the social care industry of children's homes and therapies communities and went and got like a 95 kind of job after that although it was still like therapy related um my emotional and mental health came crashing down really? like absolutely crashing down yeah it was the first time I like confronted myself mm. um and had time for myself um and it was I mean it's been an important journey that like an unnecessary one but um so I think also all of that work that did bring me joy was also a massive distraction for me as well. Yeah. Um, and I can focus on all of these other difficult things and help with them, but like not have to look at my own.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. There's, a, there's an author who I really, really like, who as far as I know has only ever written one book. Um, it's a guy called Roll Capitain who wrote a book called On the Way of Freedom. And he talks about... Um, I don't even know where to begin this without like going into a huge, massive theoretical black hole. (laughs) But essentially he says that professional helpers are often creating uh, a boundary, a rivalry, uh, a kind of a power imbalance between themselves and the people who they're helping. Um, Mm -hmm. And the idea of going into a, children's home like you were working in or going into a hospital to be a chaplain like I'm going to do and doing it because it's the right and it's the noble thing to do is actually a really toxic thing because you are setting yourself up as I am the helper. I am the messiah figure in this story here. I'm the one who has it all together and you poor wretches are the ones who I'm here to support. You are the ones who need my benevolence. Um And actually the point is like, Obviously, pr- professional help is am- amazing and important and life changing, but it's at its most powerful, I think, when both people are getting something out of it. So when the, the helper recognizes why this is important for them and part of their healing as well. And I guess the, the, why I'm saying that after what you've just said is potentially that being in the kind of the high drama atmosphere of the children's home, it's easy to slip into the, like, I'm the professional helper here. I will put myself to one side for the sake of having it all together. And then to leave that and to realize like, oh, fuck, I, I am not well kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Well, well it was also an atmosphere and vibe that I was used to like, right. um, for you know, like, so I, I was drawn to an environment that felt, safe is a weird word I think in this but it, it felt like a safe kind of environment like I know my the times I felt safest in the therapeutic community and children's homes were you used the phrase kicking off earlier and I used to like really tell my team off if they ever used the term kicking off oh, really? Um but I'm going to use it because you have <laughs> <laughs> um, like my safest moments in those environments were when things were kicking off because I knew what to do like yeah. I knew and uh, like I, w- I was in a familiar Vibe and atmosphere, and um, like you can kind of like spring into action and do something, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, I, yeah, are you how are you feeling about going to your, your role because it's, it's coming up really soon, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I'm feeling uh, mixed about it. I, I am really excited about it because chaplaincy. It, well, so I, I don't know if we've we I don't think we've talked about this in the past half hour. So let me just say Dan and I work together at the moment, and I'm about to leave that job to start a new job as a chaplain in an NHS hospital, um, not a mental health hospital, like general kind of admissions hospital. Um, and yeah, I've got really mixed feelings about it. On the one hand, I I'm really excited about it because it feels like what it just feels good. It feels like, yeah, this is, this is where I should be. Um, and it's something, so I was doing chaplaincy before I started in in this line of work and I loved it. Like I said, you know, working for that mental health hospital and the other contexts in which I was doing chaplaincy in a school and uh, hospice and a few other places um, all had their unique challenges, but all of them, I remember feeling alive, you know, while I was there. And I remember talking to my then partner who was struggling with her job and I said to her at one point you know I often wake up in the mornings feeling anxious or low or whatever but then I come home at night always feeling better because I love my job so much Um, and I haven't felt that for a while and I I'm hoping that I'll feel that again in this new job because it just kind of feels like you know something people confirm to me when I say to when I tell people you know even people where we work now like that I'm going to be a mental health uh, not a mental health sorry that I'm going to be a hospital chaplain Um, nobody's gone what you are going to be a chaplain that's weird that's surprising most people go like Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, I can see you doing that. That really makes yeah, sense. That fits.
1: It's a good fit. It definitely is a good fit.
0: Well, and that, um, I mean, I, that's I, that's how I feel too. I think it does feel like a good fit, but I'm also nervous about it because, like, it's it's in a hospital, and lots of scary stuff happens in hospitals. Um, you know, people, yeah. there, there'd be people dealing with stuff that, you know, I've had a pretty tame life. You know, like I, I've lost grandparents. That's about the extent of grief that i've faced i've never had any life threatening or life limiting illnesses or anything like that so there'll be people f- dealing with stuff that will be new to me and that uh, that will be scary um so i go back and forth between kind of thinking like yeah good this feels this is absolutely where i should be and really putting my life onto the tracks that it should be on and also feeling like oh those tracks are scary though like that's a roller coaster yeah. um that i'm gonna be on yeah. um
1: roller coasters are mostly good um so mostly. I'm super happy yeah, mostly um <laughs> or sometimes I get a little bit nauseous um <laughs> nauseous.
0: um and sometimes they get I, stuck and people get injured
1: yeah sometimes
0: <laughs> um so I'm super happy for you like
1: for going for this this role that you're going to, I'm super sad for me that you're going to this role. So I won't get to work with you in the same way. I guess just like circling back to what you were saying at the beginning of this recording and um, why Joy Story and why we're doing this. um, There's a really selfish part for me of doing this. And like, for me, the primary function of doing this with you is to carry on talking to you Mm -hmm. and to i think we would anyway i think you said that like i think we would carry on um with our friendship and talking to each other stay in touch but i love the idea of like some commitment to um a conversation with you and um that might not be a great primary function for other people who might be listening but like for me i think there can be no better function (laughs) (laughs) Um, and yeah, I know we were talking for a while about like what, that, what our focus might be and I love that it's joy. And that doesn't mean we're just going to like um, paint the colour joy on everything and everything's brilliant and happy. And I think that's probably apparent from the conversations we're already having. Yeah. Um, but I do think joy is such an... I, mean, I think I've only started using the word joy in the last year or two. Um, I don't know that I'd ever used it before. Um, but finding like moments of joy, which I do find every day, no matter how hard a day is and can be, I do think I always see or find or experience a a moment of joy, and that might be such a teeny little thing sometimes when it's a mm. horrific day. um yeah.
0: it, It's um, uh, I'm going to go into slightly spiritual chaplainy kind of territory at the moment, but there's um Saint Ignatius uh, who lived. I guess, about 500 years ago, he wrote a book called The Spiritual Exercises, which is hugely influential and people still, people who are getting ordained and that kind of stuff often do the spiritual exercises. And it's a, I don't know how, I can't remember how many there are, but X amount of actual practical things like thinking exercises, prayer exercises, whatever for for you to do. And one of the things which Ignatius recommends doing is what he calls the examine of consciousness, which is at the end of the day, you be quiet for a moment and in religious language you ask the holy spirit to guide you but we could take it out of the religious context and just talk about centering yourself being quiet listening to your kind of inner voice and that kind of thing and then the phrases the phrase he uses is look through your day for moments of consolation and moments of desolation um which again in religious language is kind of saying look for the moments in your day where God was moving, um, the the places in which you were aware of God and the places in which you weren't aware of God. But that becomes easily, you know, pop psychology, pop spirituality easily twists that into a kind of look for the happy moments, the moments where you felt uh, bouncy and smiley and everything was good. But that's that's not the point the point is that the moments of consolation can be like what I just described earlier. Like my friend's telling me that she's suffering, which is not a happy moment. That's a sad moment, but the sadness is, is life giving. That's a good sadness to feel like I'm, I I'm happy to feel sad about that. And I think when it comes to conversations about joy, it could easily become like just quite a trivial thing about like, you know, um, my cat did something cute today. I don't want to diminish those moments because cats doing cute things are amazing, but actually there's a deeper thing, which is like actually joy can come to us through real sadness and joy can come to us in moments of grief. And I think it's just those moments where like, where we just kind of hit reality, you know, where we, whatever it is that normally, you know, we're living in the past or the, or the future a lot of the time. And just those moments where, something reaches in and touches your heart. Um, that's, for me, kind of what this podcast is about in, in terms like of it's, its moments of, of reality, which which give us life. And I should, just to echo also what you've said, I'm completely, I'm like, you know, our listeners won't know, but you and I will know that we've spent, like, three weeks going what could we do a podcast on? Because the key thing was, I just <laughs> got to somebody. hang out. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so the hanging out really is the main thing, which I think yeah. I hope will make for good listening. Um, I hope so. I,
1: I just want to say, I think as well about joy. I, I think the reason I've started using the word in the last couple of years is because my shift to it has been um, not so much that at the end of the day, reflecting back on my day, but noticing when I'm in a moment of something. So like. Um, I, I guess i don't want to be at the end of the day going oh that was the moment of joy i had today or that was joy. like i want to know it in the moment yeah so like doing a lot of like what does that mean and what does that feel like what does it look like' there's, there's um been quite a um exploration for me of of that and yeah like th- those moments of joy aren't necessarily i mean if you were to press me today and say, what, what has been joyful, it, there's always going to be a moment with my dog. Like yeah, there's sure. always yeah. will, because it's just that that connection just fills me with absolute joy. But yeah, it can come from anything. And I know when it sounds like it's from like a place of distress or sadness, I'm just thinking of like clients or young people I've worked with and when they've been able to finally find the words to say something about, I don't know whether it's, um, feeling suicidal or abusive experience and it's like uh, such a awful thing but like such an also a joyful moment that someone's been able to get to that place where they found the words to say something and share it with you um for the reason of kind of getting through it and hopefully recovering and and getting safe but like so yeah those moments of joy i think can come from i mean they can come from anywhere and be about anything um and i think that's why it's different than happy
0: yeah, yeah, that's right. I think happy is happy is just a very fleeting thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I w- last week, I don't think you were there. I think you were off in another meeting, if I remember right. But we had a team meeting that we have every Wednesday morning. Um, and I was presenting at that team meeting in front of the whole staff. So, you know... I mean, in theory, that's 400 people. In practice, maybe 60 show up. <laughs> but still, like, so I was super nervous about it, you know. I, I, and like, I think I do all right on public speaking. But even thinking that, I still get very nervous about it. And like, what if I embarrass myself? You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it went, it went really well. And afterwards, I got lots of really lovely feedback. Um, partly because people know that I'm leaving. But so, you know, I asked if there's any questions and all the comments on the kind of chat were just full of kind of like, we'll miss you, Tim, we love you, like that kind of stuff. And it was really lovely. It was a real like, and I actually saved the chat so I can look at it next time I'm feeling a little bit low and just remind myself that people like me. Um, but the the reflection there was, that was all ego. Both sides of the equation there were all ego. So the, the fear of, fucking it up getting it wrong embarrassing myself and then the the kind of pleasure of like oh people were nice to me that feels good that validates me whatever and happiness kind of feels like it's dependent on circumstance someone says something nice to you so you're happy whereas joy I think what we're talking about here on this podcast is something which is much deeper than that and not dependent on just people being nice to you or saying that you know getting the praise that you wanted or whatever it's uh it's it's something which you can kind of tap into even in moments of, of rejection of sadness, you know, of a uh, kind of difficult moments. Um, yeah. It's not, it's not that fleeting thing like happiness is.
1: I yeah, think. no, absolutely. Well, look, my, the darkest time I can remember in my own head is like two or three years ago. And we'll, if we you know carry this project on, I'm sure we'll get to some of that, but like in my darkest, darkest moments where it felt virtually hopeless and, Joyless, probably, and everything. Like, I, I guess the moment of joy for me, and those were like, I'm going to survive this, and I'm going to recover, and I'm going to get through this. And like, there was always this kind of. So when I say hopeless, it probably wasn't because I was clinging on to something. And there were moments of absolute joy of knowing there was no like lower for me to get. You know, yeah, there's only yeah. there's only getting better from here. Yeah. Um. Um. I mean, to be completely probably bleak, there was either there's dying or there's getting better.
0: And yeah, getting right. better was
1: the only option for me.
0: Yeah. Um, I get that, I, like 12-step programs talk about the moment of rock bottom, right, as being the moment where you start healing. And I guess that that was your experience of rock bottom by the sound of it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I. I I mean, perhaps things could have gotten worse and things could have been worse, but it definitely didn't feel like that could happen. Um, yeah. like what, it was like anything anybody throws at me right now, whatever, it, it this feeling can't get worse. This yeah. misery yeah. can't get worse. And that's a joyful thing because I can only get better from here. And yeah. that's yeah. what an amazing feeling that I'm never going to be in this place again now because like, I'm going forwards from here. And it was that... Um I've got a bit goosebumpy saying that because like, I don't often remember that feeling of despair and like joy about it as well. Um because yeah. it was horrendous but also yeah amazing. I was like, oh, I'm gonna, this is hopefully like the lowest I'm ever gonna get.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's um my uh MA dissertation, I wrote it about uh another kind of ancient saint called St. John of the Cross. Um, who's just one of my absolute heroes and actually talking about joy every account that people have of meeting him describes him as this joyful playful kind of life-giving kind of character um but his rock bottom and he he wrote a book called the dark night of the soul uh, well he wrote a poem called the dark night of the soul which he then later on expanded into a book w- in which he kind of explains what the poem is all about to him um but he so he was a monk and his monastic order, the Carmelites were at war with each other, basically, um, you know, because they're all about Jesus who is all about peace. Um, so these guys argued about whether they should wear shoes or not and started murdering each other because of it. Basically it's a really, it's a, it's a terrible story. Um, but St. John of the cross was part of the a kind of a reforming side of the order. Um, and, the, the other side uh, took him prisoner and held him in a prison cell for, I think it was 11 months. And he was allowed out of his prison cell for half an hour, once a day uh, to be tortured in front of the other monks while they ate. Isn't Christian history great?
1: Um, Beautiful. But
0: yeah, isn't it? Um, yeah. Adventures and missing the point. <laughs> but the, the, the point was St John of the cross was in that prison cell, that's where, even though he'd been religious all of his life until then, that's the moment where he describes first discovering the reality of God and of faith and of life. Um that's the moment where he talks about, I mean, in, in psychological language or let's say maybe even slightly Buddhist language, the, he discovered so much of what he'd held on to before was the superficial ego stuff. Yeah. And at the moment where that stuff couldn't work for him anymore, everything had been taken away from him. He had nothing. He were, he had no hope. He, were, he he was literally at rock bottom. That's the moment in which he discovered, like, oh wow, I'm okay. Even here, I'm okay. Yeah. Even here, I'm held. Um, this this place, which is the scariest place that I could be, even here, I'm okay. Um, and for me, as a religious person, I interpret that, you know, in a kind of very religious way. I interpret that as being, you know, the, the hands of God catching him as he hit rock bottom. But you could, you know, let's take the religious stuff and treat it as a metaphor. Um, you can take the kind of religious stuff out of the equation altogether and talk about that rock bottom experience that we spend so much of our life desperately scrabbling away from the fear of falling down into the pit. And actually, it's the scrabbling, it's the fighting, it's the resisting, which is the problem. Yeah. And when you actually let go and you allow yourself to fall, there's that's that's where the moment where healing can start to begin. At that point. Um,
1: so, are you telling me I had a religious experience?
0: No, I'm not. Um, I mean i I would say my the filter with which I see the world yeah. is that so I do believe in God and I believe that where wherever life begins to blossom. And I don't mean that in like a biological sense. I mean that in like a poetic sense, wherever people start to come alive as you were beginning to come alive, I would describe that as the presence of God, the work of God. Um, But I, I don't need to make that a religious thing for it to make sense to me. And I don't, believe that people need to be religious to have that experience yeah, um, well, and i've got this filter on it let's say like i've got a blue filter in front of my light and other people have got a green filter in front of theirs so they use different language different frameworks to understand it but we're looking at the well,
1: same that thing. point about language is what i was just about to say i think is like just listening to everything you just said um if you just slightly tweak some of the words it's what i was talking about isn't it like that is what i was my personal experience yeah. is, is that and it um with different words attached to it um, because of the yeah. framing of which we see things. So, yeah. I definitely wouldn't describe what I had as like, yeah, a religious experience or that, but like, it's, it's the same like emotional experience and mental experience and like behavioral, ex- whatever, like, it's just some different yeah. words used to describe it. Um, yeah. It's, um,
0: it's interesting. And actually that, that um, the dark night of the soul, of the cross was Spanish, so he was writing it in, in Spanish and in ancient Spanish as well. So it's been translated and retranslated countless times. And the my favorite translation is one that was translated by a Buddhist, uh, Mirabai Star. Um, and because that person is translating it through a Buddhist filter, that person isn't a Christian who's translating it, it just gives I don't know, it's just quite a fresh way of reading it. It just kind of you know, the, the they don't use classic religious language um which makes it in in my experience a much more therapeutic book to read than if you were to read one of the more well-known christian translations of it which would the language is so familiar at that point that you know you can almost switch off while you're reading it but reading it with that slightly different filter made it like feel really alive Mm.
1: um yeah that's really interesting and genuinely i just um you know often when people talk about i don't know like religious texts or stuff like my my brain can do this kind of fading away thing and like turning away and turning the volume down in my brain a bit because it feels Mm -hmm. like um this okay what someone's saying now isn't for me that's um that's for someone else um whilst knowing it's just me and you in a conversation here but like (laughs) this isn't isn't for me I'm I'm over here
0: Um, but but
1: the point I was trying to make (laughs) is that you've got a way of talking about it that really engages me like it really um, I think because when you talk about stuff like you just said you really demonstrate how much of a good listener you are and how like empathic you are because you just pulled this reference this religious reference and something that you've done like out of somewhere that directly relates to what I just told you and really resonates. So, oh, that's like a similar experience to what I was just talking about. So yeah, you've got this way of talking about religion or religious texts or whatever it might be in that sphere. Um, I don't know why I'm putting a sphere around you, but you, you're not
0: better than being in a. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Well, is,
1: is it? Um, I always wanted to go on the Cube TV show.
0: Oh, I was thinking of that horror movie. Oh, that
1: cube! cube. Oh, there, see, there are different cubes and different spheres. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah.
0: What is it? All the mean? cube of joy. Who <laughs> um, <I laughs> know what that means? But I
1: guess what I was, you, you, um, you just demonstrate that how much you listen, and I guess i will say that your passion with which you talk about stuff actually as well. It's um, it's really engaging. I guess is just what I want to say. It's not. I I don't find myself turning the volume down in my brain and when you start talking about that stuff yeah
0: well i appreciate that i'm I'm glad um and i i think i think the reason for that is like i used to be religious because i was told that you needed to be religious if you wanted to go to heaven when you died so religion was not something which did anything good for me really apart from a very transactional thing of like you go to church every Sunday and then when you die, you go to the good place and it's all good. Um, And that meant that my conversations about religion always ended up being a debate. Basically they were always about me winning an argument because it was like, this is a fact, this is what's true. And if you disagree with me, you're wrong. And, you know, in my, if I was kind of trying to trick myself into thinking that I was being very compassionate, I would tell myself that I'm trying to save people from hell. But actually the reality is it was a debate. It was like, uh, I I wanted to have the, the kind of the victory in the debate of like, obviously my worldview is true because that's what I've always been told is true. And, and I think the journey that I've been on in the past 15, 20 years um, means that I have no, desire to convert anybody to my religion Hmm. i i don't feel any need to do that um my religion offers me a huge amount of comfort and community and it's important to me um but i certainly don't believe that people are going to go to hell if they don't believe the same thing that i do that's not part of it um so i feel like now i can have much more interesting conversations with people than i ever did before because Well, hey, let's say if it is a debate and I end up losing and I end up not being a Christian anymore, that's okay. It doesn't matter. I'm not scared of that Mm -hmm. anymore. I'm not scared of not being a Christian. Um, And I'm not trying to convince anybody else. So we can I feel like that's been so much so so good for me, that journey, because I can just have conversations where I actually listen to people and learn from people rather than just trying to convince them that I'm right. I'm
1: mega curious about something. Um, And so that transactional uh, nature of, like, younger little Tim. I don't know if you were little, Tim, but, like, I'm calling you little. It's pretty little. Little pretty Tim. Little. Um, <laughs> how tall are you, Tim? Uh, Five-nine. Because we've never met I in them. real life, IRL. Yeah. Like, it's, um, okay, sorry, that's a complete digression. Uh,
0: no, that's cool. How tall are you? Just that, Six foot two. Ah oh, fuck, you're a real man. <laughs> that, I'm just I'm okay. Just let's wait. put that conversation
1: into another episode. Um, no, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, so the transactional nature for little Tim of I do all of this stuff, I get to heaven. What does that mean? What does like what for little Tim like get into heaven? What does that mean?
0: It's it's literally about my 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 sense of my identity myself my who i am L- little let's not go with little tim because we're talking about like 19 okay. year old tim so you probably no you're five um emotionally little <laughs> tim we could say um believed that our lives are eternal that death is a is a frontier but that something continues after death and my belief was was binary that you there's two places where you spend eternity and one of them is a place of happiness and fulfillment and peace and having no problems no worries at all anymore and the other is a place of eternal suffering and punishment mm. joy um, or not, joy. and right. i would say yeah yeah um and i don't know if this is fair or not but i think with hindsight i would say it was less about the desire of going to heaven and more about the fear of going to mm. hell um, I, I, I mean, like I say, we're talking a long time ago, and maybe that's not quite fair on on um, emotionally little Tim, um, but I think I think there's something in that that heaven feels so. Hell makes for great paintings, movies, music because it's really easy to depict. You've got fires, you've got people screaming, you've got demons. Like it's really kind of like it's there's a very clear image of what hell is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Literally. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. But all the way back to like medieval paintings and that kind of stuff. Whereas heaven is a little bit more like, you know, I know it's not literally playing a harp on the clouds, but that's the kind of cartoon image of it. What is heaven? I don't really, you know, we sing praises eternally. I'm not sure I want to do that. I don't want to sing more than two songs in a row. Yeah, Um, Like that heaven feels more nebulous. (laughs) So I think, I think it's probably fair to say that, the fear of hell was probably greater than the pull. Even though hell
1: was like electric guitars and uh, heaven was harps. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
1: Um, Exactly. Uh, That's that's not oversimplifying things at all. Like, um, (laughs) I really (laughs) want to give emotionally little Tim a hug. I
0: don't know why. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, it's, yeah we i mean i'm conscious we've been talking for nearly an hour and this is potentially a whole new hour long conversation but little tim had a lot of arrogance that he needed to deal with um because growing up in a context where you believe that you're right and everybody else is yeah. wrong isn't isn't great you, um you so need you needed a cuddle exactly i was going to say the the flip side of that arrogance was real real fear and anxiety um and I think, I think I'm think i probably I think I've probably dealt with a lot of the arrogant stuff, but I definitely haven't dealt with the fear and anxiety okay. stuff. That stuff is still still swimming around, as you know. Yeah. Um, OK. So, so, yeah, maybe maybe if little Tim had known you and you could have given him a hug, I'd be a lot better as a 36 year old now. I mean, the savior
1: <laughs> in me um, would want to say, yeah, of course. <laughs> That's one of the-
0: there's that
1: arrogance, it's not just for Christians. <laughs> but the me of now <laughs> wouldn't be saying I just I'd want to give you a hook for my benefit more than yours, probably. Oh, um, thanks very much. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> stick that in your pipe and do what the fuck you want with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> stick that in your homophobic pipe. Yeah. <laughs> you oh, God. That, can you? Like now you've said that, and um people are gonna be like, what does, what does that mean?
0: Like I'm just going to leave it hanging. Listen well, to episode eight. No, oh, don't no. To listen to that. this.
1: Um, so <laughs> we need to do a much better job at the start of this of having like a snappier introduction as to who we are. Do we? I feel maybe. like we do. I think just because it would have, it might have given what you've just said some context, but it might not have as well. I don't know. Maybe yeah. if I introduce myself as, hi, I'm gay Dan, um, which probably isn't how I'd introduce <laughs> myself. But I, it would be one of the things, like if I was saying a few quick things about myself, yeah. like, being gay would be one of those things. Like, I'm Dan, I'm a psychotherapist. I uh, have a husband and a dog who I love very much. And um, yeah, so you know what I mean? Like
0: those little things you might say about yourself. But then I could be like, I am... Uh, recovering homophobe Tim. Um... <laughs> recovering. <laughs> I That's have like... cats, and they're both female.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm like recovering internal homophobe.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can only love female things. All my pets are female.
1: My dog is female.
0: actually There you go. That's an internalized homophobia.
1: Well, she's. I've now got like she's now imprinted on my arm. So I've got a female imprinted on my arm and. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. So I've got a dog tattooed on my arm for... See,
0: 19-year-old Tim would be thinking, like, yes, yes, I'm going to convert this guy.
1: Because I've got a female dog on my arm.
0: No, not really. (laughs) No, No, I don't think I was even that deluded.
1: That's... I mean, that would be incredible.
0: Yeah, can you imagine? Ah, see, you
1: do like women. (laughs) So I... I don't, I'm trying to think if this was you now or not, and I hope it wasn't now, I'm going to say this, um, but like, my dog, she humps my husband's leg sometimes, and, um, yeah. and I videoed it and I shared it with some people, and a couple of people said to me like, how do you feel about a female humping your husband? <laughs>
0: that wasn't me, I didn't say that.
1: I'm so glad it wasn't you, um, because then she's been like, I mean, she's also a different species, like, yeah, yeah, not, it's not like yeah, that not- a woman has wandered into our house and started hunting
0: <laughs> my husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what are you even, what does that even mean? Like, I think <laughs> I, 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 you did send me the video. I was one of the people who received it. And I think, if I remember right, the thing that I was confused about <laughs> was what your, what's your dog getting out of it? I don't understand. And we went I into know. a whole
1: consent conversation, I think.
0: Yes, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even consensual. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Yeah, that was. We probably shouldn't share that. I think that conversation took us down some inappropriate avenue. I think so. <laughs> cool. Well, I think um, we should we should we wrap this up and we yeah, can work that's... on snappier introductions for the next episode. Um, yeah. I guess. I mean, maybe for people who are still listening at this point, um, <laughs> I'll say this is a kind of new project, and it'd be interesting to hear about the type of stuff you know, with Dan coming from. background of being a psychotherapist and being not religious and being gay and me coming from the point of view of being a chaplain and being religious and being straight, if that matters. (laughs) Um, And like, what are the types of things that we should talk about? Are there things that we should cover in this podcast? Just like we don't have an email address or anything set up. Hello, listeners. It's Tim, the editor, coming to you from the future. Woo! I'm just uh, interrupting this podcast Let you know that we do have an email address Dan set one up for us after we recorded this And before I published it So if you would like to email us About the type of things you'd like us to talk about Simply email joystorypodcast At gmail.com That's joystorypodcast At gmail.com Okay, I'll hand back over To Tim and Dan from the past Don't be scared, it's not real it
1: would be really nice for people to get in touch and like take some direction from what would be interesting for people to listen to um,
0: yeah. yeah yeah, send us your questions and thoughts and uh, we'll cover them in future episodes so um yeah thanks for listening and thanks Dan for suggesting it it's been really fun I'm really looking forward to thank seeing where, where this goes
1: I'm super excited about it and thank you for listening everyone I thank you Tim cool all right